Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. Today's Tuesday, December 14th. I'm Robert Mays. Mitchell Schwartz is traveling today. He will be back with us later in the season. Do not worry. But pinch hitting in his stead is our good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? doing great wait i mean it's twice in 12 hours it feels like we should just <laughs> keep recording the whole time through i mean might, might as I well just not even sleep on sunday nights into monday hey morning ken i'm keeping point. it i'm keeping it on kent you get producer ken i'm just gonna keep it on you, you can edit it later that's it we'll just have one 24 hour uh little file that we send you <laughs> i you, you you had some french soak pie last night after the show huh how was oh that oh my god i, I love a good french soak pie it's my favorite, my absolute favorite pie. I was such a picky eater as a kid. And then my mom, you know, so like apple pie. I like apple God, pie now. the opposite of me. Uh, I, I ate my, my dad used to say I would eat anything not moving faster than me. That's, oh, I know my entire family. Now, don't, don't, I, I eat everything. But that was the thing is when I was in high school, there's a couple of schools that recruited me as a tight end. And everyone, I was 195 pounds, 6'4", just real thin. Oh, I know. And everyone was like, really tight end? And then they looked at my dad and they're like, He'll put on weight. <laughs> he'll he'll get there, and then sure enough, in college, when you're broken, college and starving, you start eating eating everything you can. So yeah, that weight came on quick. I was two twenty five my senior year, like two twenty two okay. my junior year. Though I was I was two forty five, so I was much Strong. bigger than you in high school, despite being six yes. inches shorter than you. Yeah, my first my first varsity experience, James Lerner and I just tore me in half. I was one hundred and sixty pounds as a sophomore, and he uh, he absolutely t-boned me and i uh like that's the last thing i remember is going up in the air with james are nice on top of me so yeah uh I, that's why i learned oh maybe i should start lifting weights <laughs> or play quarterback maybe or play quarterback right yeah exactly. exactly all right as we always do on monday into tuesday we're doing the mailbag today really appreciate you guys sending in the questions a lot of fun ones today we have yeah. a nice breezy energy with this guy as we get a little bit later into the season so Kent, why don't you queue up the first voicemail for us hi robert nate um, yesterday on the show, you talked about the problems with the Panthers and the Jaguars, and of course, Urban Meyer and Matt Rule both came straight from coaching college to NFL head coaching jobs. So I was curious. I looked up others who've done that in the last, say, 20 years. Um, Cliff Kingsbury, of course, Bill O'Brien, Chip Kelly, Doug Marone. Greg Schiano, Jim Harbaugh, Bobby Petrino, Nick Saban, Steve Spurrier, Butch Davis. And I guess my question is, you know, what are your thoughts on the pros and cons of somebody making that move? Anyway, thanks a lot. Andy Taylor, Tank, PA. Bye-bye. It's a great question from Andy. I just it being 1 a.m. is probably why I didn't mention it last night because it is a connection point between those two guys. And I wanted to ask you this. 
because you obviously played in college. You've been around college coaches. You've been around NFL coaches for a very long time. Do you think that there's a difference in the skill set? And do you feel like there is something inherent to what makes a college coach successful that doesn't necessarily make a pro coach successful? Or do you feel like this is anecdotal? I thought you'd have a good sense of it. Yeah, I, I've never been a real fan from a guy going from college to the NFL. It's it really the the alarm bell for me is if they have zero NFL experience. Mm-hmm. Like they Why weren't is assisted. That? What aspect of it? I mean, just the whole process of t- coaching an NFL professional. Like yeah. it's it's a lot different. It really is. In college, it's my way or the highway. And you can do that with a lot of guys. I mean, they joke about de-recruiting guys because they just Blah, 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 blah. And they, you control their lives. You really do. You got school. You just you can always hang something over a guy. In the NFL, a player can just come in and go, no. <laughs> like, I got a seven-year deal. I know I'm the franchise guy. No, like, it's a lot more that leading of leading of men, leading of adults that needs to happen. Not that college coaches don't do that. There's a plenty, I've, dozens of coaches I've been around that have just been, they have that and they maybe prefer the college lifestyle. But I, I would say recruiting is 1A, 1B, 1C in college. It really is. It's just you, you live and die by recruiting. And then it's, you know, hiring good assistants on top of that. I think in the NFL, those guys that jump to it, all of a sudden they just go, oh, okay, free agency is totally different. We joked about with Urban Meyer last night, having no idea how free agency worked, like and just how the whole process with, hey, it's highest bidder. That's, that's it. That's it. And on top of that, it's also like – you know, the draft process and just maybe finding what team fits are and understanding what it is like being an NFL player. I know we're talking about the coaches, but being an NFL player, it's, you know, it's a grind. It's, you know, it's a different mindset that you have to look for. And maybe some of these college guys go, well, this guy's fast. And it's like, yeah, but the NFL, you gotta, you gotta find different skill sets that work in the NFL, like translatable skills The I would say the upside for it, like if I'm, uh, I would say being devil's advocate, but the upside is they bring in new ideas to the NFL. Mm-hmm. The NFL can be very stagnant with your ideas. Chip Kelly is the best example of that, right? Ex- that's exactly it. And I mean, I would say he was a he was a ahead of the curve because it was going to go that way anyways. But he kind of like forced it. Like it was like maybe five years before it was ready to hit the NFL. So maybe it matriculated a little quicker because of him. That's the one really good example. And Chip Kelly did find the NFL when he was in the Eagles. That's the thing. It's like he was winning a lot of games. Jim Harbaugh too. And I felt that they brought a lot of interesting schematic quirks. Just a lot of the run game stuff that they were doing. Yes. it, It seemed like there were a couple of good examples. I mean, those guys had shelf lives. You know, obviously, yep. when th- that approach got a little bit stale, they failed to pivot in any considerable yep. way. And I think that that's why their NFL careers pivoted, or excuse me, why they fizzled to a certain extent. Do you feel like there's anything to that organizational leader of, not leader, leader of men is such bullshit. It's, I know. I, I, I try not, to avoid it. It's such a bullshit phrase. term, but I yeah. think just the overall CEO approach, right? Like when people yeah. wanted Matt Campbell. And Matt Campbell being like this guy who's done such a good job at Iowa State and him being a hot name in NFL circles where it's not necessarily this schematic approach or this wizardry on one side of the ball, even though I know Iowa State's defense is doing a lot of interesting Mm -hmm. things, but it was this program builder idea. Maybe that's the better term for it. Do you think there's anything to that where if you're looking at, all right, this is how you reset what an organization looks like. This is how you build something from the ground up because that's what Matt Rule was sold as. Do you think there's anything to that? Not really, because usually uh, they got to have a little more. Run out of reasons to hire these guys then. (laughs) They just got to have a little more 
substance to them. Like, you know, like Campbell might be a a decent example, like you said, with the defense, but then you have to decipher, is that because a defense coordinator you hired or is that because of his vision? And also in college, it's, you get these recruiting classes, you get your three or four years to build these recruiting classes, do, 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 do. NFL, it's what we talked about a million times. It's ability to pivot. It's ability to just like have different answers for different things, not just in a game plan sense, but as a franchise sense. It's going like, well, if we do this, hey, well, this guy's going to be free. It's just having that kind of midterm plan with short-term and long-term planning. I think NFL, you just have to always be on your game. And also the difference too is in college, you're the dictator. Like, yeah, you have to answer to boosters and a little bit the athletic director, but really you get full say and full control. NFL, it's it's a people, it's a people's business. It's a, it really is. It's a person business because it's a you know the GM execs, um, your assistant coaches might not be the guys you wanted because maybe the GM wants his you know defensive coordinator. Like the owner, you always got to remember the owner. <laughs> it all starts at the top too. So it's a different dynamics that exist in the NFL. So it's like it's just such a different skill set needed for these guys. And it's hard because it is case by case. But I think the one thing is I, I if I'm going to hire a guy that has college like from the college ranks, it's like I, I want to see maybe two, three, four years of NFL experience. I know that's hard like to find that kind of perfect guy, but that's really it is needed because it's a it's a bucket of cold water on some of these guys once they get to the NFL. And I do think that there's a consistency aspect to this, right? I mean, Urban yeah. Meyer said it. I mean, we heard that early in the season when he told somebody it's like you're playing Alabama every single week. And yep. it is. There are no it shortcuts is. in the NFL. Nope. There's no, I'm going to get the best guys for two years early on as a recruiter, and then my team will be good. You have to put it in every day. And I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing with the Panthers, right? Where they mm-hmm. want to kind of pivot away from these things and, and take the short corner to where they want to go. It's like, that's not how this works. If you are disappointed with a guy, there aren't 120 guys standing on the sideline where you have this entire group of pool, you have this entire pool of players that you can pick from. Like you have to put in the work slowly, methodically. This does not happen overnight. And I think that that's what we've seen a little bit with a couple of these cases. Well, and I think also it's like, in college, how many blowouts happened early in the year? Yes. Just like hanging out. And in the NFL, it's like, look at, look at Sunday. I mean, how many times teams just came back? It's it's such a rubber band effect in this league. It's not just parody. Oh, every team's finishing around 500. It's every week. is like you just said, it's a battle. <laughs> it's a, it's every, like every, it's so hard to wake up in December on a Tuesday at 430 in the morning and go, okay, I'm putting together third down today. And then, like, you have to do that. Like, in the college, it's just like, hey, we're going to run RPO on third down. Like, we just run our five plays. We're good. All right, what are we doing recruiting? How are we doing there? Like, it's a, just a different different lifestyle that exists with it. And right now, they're in bull prep. NFL's still going. We still got four weeks to go. Like, it's, you know, before we even hit the playoffs. It's, it's, a, it's a different animal uh, entirely. It's funny because Cliff Kingsbury has been successful relatively. Yeah. And he was the worst recruiter. Of all the college coaches that have come to the NFL recently, it it feels like he's been the guy with the lowest recruiting pedigree because it was all schematics. And it's almost like he was put in a better position because he went about the college game without the best players all the time. Yeah, he was just, yeah, he was playing on hard mode. Like just, well, he had Mahomes. (laughs) Sure, yeah. (laughs) But, But, you know, but yes. But there is something to him, to him, like his personality probably vibes with the NFL more. Because college, it's like you have to answer. I feel like it does. I feel like it absolutely does. Players probably, there's a reason all the vets went there, like the James Connors and the JJ Watts, because they're like, oh shit, I get to kind of just hang out on a Wednesday and just walk through on a Wednesday and practice in shorts. This guy's not going to grind me to death. Like that matters too. Like 
I, I love Brett Bielma. We were full pads on Thursdays in the season. Like, you know, it's, it's a, it was a totally different way. You can't do that. I mean, Belichick does, but that, again, that's his own. That's you got to earn world. that. That you got exactly. You got to earn that. Yeah, you're not going to really tell Belichick to change his ways, and yeah, it works out pretty well. <laughs> All right, let's get to our next one here. Hey, Rob, this is Matt from Raleigh. Um, I just had a question about the Falcons. Um, you know, right now we're kind of in no man's land. Um, you know, I do think Arthur's done a good job of. Uh, coaching this team up, um, I think, you know, there's some good things offensively going on. But uh, what do you think Atlanta should do uh, as far as the short-term future? I don't really see a point of keeping Matt Ryan just to keep him. Um, he's an aging quarterback. I don't think we'll be able to resign Cordero Patterson. I think he's going to be worth too much money um, in the offseason. Uh, where do you think the Falcons should go in the offseason as far as trading team in the draft? I wanted to answer this question and I appreciate it because we haven't really talked about the Falcons very much. They're a team that if they're winning enough games, and even though the show I did with Lindsay last week, we were talking about which team with four or fewer wins would you rather be? The Falcons weren't in that group because they have somehow stumbled into enough wins this year. But in all actuality, they're absolutely one of those full scale rebuilding teams. I mean, they have a few players on really expensive contracts. But other than that, and this roster needs a ton of retooling. So I wanted to ask you, if you're looking at this Falcons team, what do you think their six-month plan should look like in term, as they enter this offseason? I, I bet you they wish they could rewind six months and maybe take a quarterback in this last draft. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's isn't it funny, though, how things shift at that Cordero Patterson is we can't, I don't think we could resign Cordero Patterson. Like that's like, it's so funny. he's become a, a key cog for like their franchise right now. But that, that kind of speaks to where they're at. That Cordero Patterson's your guy. I mean, credit to CP. Like he's had an awesome year and everything, but they're utilizing him in a great way. I mean, this team is, you know, the, I said before then when I bet against them or a couple of weeks ago, it was their 32nd in DVOA. It was worse than the other teams, Jags, Jets, all Texans. It's they're put together. They, I mean, the pieces are AJ Terrell, Grady Jarrett, Chris Lindstrom, Kyle Pitts, Jake Matthews, and Calvin Ridley, maybe. Like, you know, I think that's exactly how to look at this. Where it, it's it's not it's not what do, what do we need, it's what do we have. Yeah. And then yeah. we need everything else. Because I, I thought that coming into this year, you know, the way that yes. I, the feeling that I had about their situation coming into the season based on, you know, just the vibe there and just little conversations with people there, it felt like they were really trying to depress expectations. It's like we are, I mean, post Julio trade, it's like we are not going to be very good. We don't yeah. have a lot of talent. We need to understand that. You couldn't name three players on their defense coming into the season. It was yeah. Grady Jarrett, AJ Terrell, and Deion Jones in terms of yep. pieces maybe you could build around. I know Dante Fowler's there, whatever else. That's still how it feels right now, right? Mm-hmm. AJ Terrell looks like a superstar. He, yes, he it looks like one of the best corners in the NFL at this stage. That is a huge win. Kyle huge. Pitts is going to be a really nice piece. We'll yes. see what happens with Calvin Ridley. Obviously, it's such a unique situation. There's really no way yeah. to understand it. But when we've seen him play, he's a fantastic player. Yes. So if he comes back and you know, I wish him all the best. If he comes back Same. and he's feeling good next year and you have a Calvin Ridley and a Kyle Pitts and a couple guys on the offensive line and then you, on the defensive side, you have AJ Terrell, you have Grady Jarrett. I think you kind of start over. 
I, yeah. I mean, it feels like it's going to be a tough situation with the Matt Ryan contract because even if they trade him, they're still on the hook for $40 million in dead money. Yeah. What happened near the end was always going to put them in a really bad spot. They were trying to squeeze every drop they could out of this thing, and eventually the bill comes due. And that's exactly what's going to happen. So this is a multi-year sort of rebuild. And that's why I just think that they should try to get as young as they can. Mm -hmm. And who do you retain? I think it's only a few guys that are going to be part of this team moving forward. That was part of the exercise we did with Lindsay the other day. It's like, all right, who are the guys? Like, If you're stacking up the guys that are going to be on this team three years from now, who are those guys? And for the Falcons... I think the ones that are guarantees is a very short list. The unfortunate part of this is that when you look at their needs, it's a real tough situation that they invested so much in the offensive line recently, and the offensive line is objectively bad. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's rough. When you spend a first-round pick on Caleb McGarry, when you drafted Jalen Mayfield this year and he looks r- not very good, not that's good. the issue, right? Is that When mm-hmm. you're looking at – we were talking about the Cowboys last night. You know, you're drafting a Tyler Bias in the fourth round, Connor Williams, Connor McGovern, functional players. Mm-hmm. And the Falcons, with all of those swings, have not built a functional offensive line. So even the guys that should be building blocks for you don't look like building blocks. And that's put them in a really rough situation. And there were premium swings, too. Like it wasn't yes. like, the, like you said with those Cowboys guys, those are middle round picks, which is why it's even better that you can get a starter out of it. But it's like when you miss on a first round lineman, because you have to play them. You're not going to take a lineman in the first round and go, eh, we'll put him on the bench. It's not quarterback. You know, it's not, you know, a corner or, you know, other positions. It's like, no, we have to play this guy. So that's what it kind of, you know, it's a sunk cost, but it's also like, you know, you double down on the negativity there. And that's the thing is like Winstrom is is a good player. Like I, he's really come along. And so it's like really, but that's it. It's Terrell, Lindstrom, Pitts, maybe Calvin Ridley, and then whatever you want to do with Grady Jarrett. And that's really it. And it, but that's why that just tells you it's like nuke it. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That should tell you exactly, lead you right to your answer. And that's what, I mean, we talked, it was one of our big conversations in the offseason. We're like, maybe they should kind of lean quarterback and maybe, you know, start building to the future. And they kind of kicked the can down the road. Like you said, the bill was, bill became due. And as opposed to what the Saints have done, the Saints nailed a couple drafts in a row, which helped them. But it's like, you know, they're, uh, I don't know. Saints live in La La Land with the salary cap, but it's also it's like even they're I in think, a weird spot now because their quarterback thing is quarterbacks. Now, what do you Oof. do? And yep. with the Falcons next year, I, I think it's really easy to look at Matt Ryan at age thirty-seven and with the way his arm looks right now, and just be like, "Well, this is over." I mean, they're going to mm-hmm. move on. I mean, what are they going to do? But <laughs> you look at it; they only save eight million dollars by trading him, and I his base salary is only sixteen million. So typically with some of these monster-based salaries for quarterbacks, if you can trade them, it's the cash that you're going to save. They don't even save that much cash by trading him next year. And what are you going to do? If you trade him and you still need a veteran quarterback, you're going to have to pay a veteran quarterback. So even if you're getting a $10 million guy, even if you're shopping in the Andy Dalton Ryan Fitzpatrick aisle from this year, that's still $10 million. Starting quarterbacks don't come cheap. So it almost feels like there's a world where Matt Ryan might be the starter here next year because there's yeah. not much that there's not that much relief from moving on from him. Then in 2023, you absolutely can, right? I mean, in 2023, you can just cut him. It's a 15 yeah. million dollar dead cap hit. You save 28 million dollars, and in 2023, 
they're, everyone's hitting free agency. Grady Jarrett's hitting free agency, McGarry, Calvin Ridley, but you got $130 million in cap space, $140 million. You got a blank slate of a team. So I feel like this is a lot more about the next two off seasons yeah. than it is about this spring because the Ooh. hole that they dug themselves is a deep, deep hole. Two years in NFL terms is that's an eternity. Like that is, that is like, that's usually it's like, okay, one year we grit our teeth and try and, you know, get through it. But it's like, when knowing that and going, oh man, it's just like, but that's the thing. It just, they had an out, they had an out. Like, that's what I, I thought they did. Like this spring they did. And I, this is, yeah, like you said, it's the whole they dug themselves in. That's, it's just more frustrating about it, but it's like, I mean, what do you tell the coaches now? It's like, all right, well, this is what we have. Like you're shopping with discounts. Like, and also like now if say they do decide, like they want to go with a young quarterback to groom behind Matt Ryan. Now you have to hit it. You know, this is your swing and this is not a class you want to do that in. And the guy might be taken that where they're picking at because now they're at 500 or near 500 right now. So it's like, uh, it's just, it's just a lot of, a lot of speed bumps to get over to, to put themselves on a path. Yeah. And that's why I think it's a two year process and there just aren't that many teams we can say that about, but that's the financial reality for where they found themselves. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right. Yeah. This is a fun one. I, I feel like we've talked about we've talked around this for the for the entire start of the season. Let's really dig into it here. Alex Porter says feels like every week Justin Herbert makes an absolutely mind boggling throw. He sent this last week, by the way, before the throw okay. from yesterday. <laughs> just, just just for context. But it was he sent it to you and me, so I wanted to wait until you were on the show. Perfect. He said leading us to talk about how rare that level of arm talent is. But exactly how rare is it? I know you're a big rankings guy, so here's the question. Am I a big rankings guy? I guess I'm a big rankings guy. Yeah. Here's the question. Where does Herbert rank among the best arm talents of the last 20 years? I'm specifically going back that far so Nate can include Culpepper if he wants. (laughs) Off the top of my head, the best arm talents are in no particular order. Herbert, Josh Allen, Matthew Stafford, Jay Cutler, Brett Favre, Patrick Mahomes, Dante Culpepper, Aaron Rodgers. But feel free to add anyone that I've overlooked. Happy ranking. So I did this a story about this on The Athletic last year, and I did it the past 30 years because that's, one, my lifetime, more or less, yeah. like since I started watching football, and two, it's hard to find highlights going back further than that. There's isn't a lot of John Elway stuff from early in his career on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's harder to find. And so that's why I limited it to that stretch. I said Mahomes. I mean, that, that's where I ended up, and it's because I think arm talent and arm strength are different things. I'm curious if you were stacking yours up, what would it look like? Number one of all the guys is Jeff George. 
And that's it's a tail end of his career in 20 years. I looked it up. He didn't retire until the mid 2000 to the mid aughts. So he counts. <laughs> but Jeff George has the craziest arm talent I've ever seen. And I, and I got to have one year with him when I was a kid. And and but just even rewatching some of the stuff from 1999 when uh, they benched Randall Cunningham. That is the most ridiculous arm ever. Like and that's and then everyone else is catching up to that. But I would go number two is Mahomes. And then I and then it gets fun. Uh, like. I have Allen in there. I got Josh Allen. I got Favre, Stafford, Rogers. I would say Rogers above actually above you know Stafford and Favre. I think Rogers is arm talent. Favre had arm strength. So that's the, that is the differentiation to me, right? That's tough. So Jeff George had the strongest arm. All right, but he could do some crazy things. <laughs> so it, to me, it's I think creativity is part of it. I think how you yeah. can layer throws is part of it. I think arm angles is part of it. So all of that stuff I take into account, and that's always why Rogers to me was number one. Favre had a stronger arm than Rogers, yes. but some of the things that Rogers can do, slightly on the move, the way that he yeah. can layer certain throws to different levels of the field, some of the things that he could get off was just absolutely insane. What yeah. Aaron Rodgers could do with the football to me was unlike any other passer I had ever seen until Mahomes. And then Mahomes comes along and just some of the things that Mahomes can do, the whip-like motion that he creates with his arm and the with being able to create that strength and that velocity with his arm alone, Rodgers has, to me, the best torque of any quarterback that I've yeah. ever seen. His ability to kind of put his cleats in the ground or have one foot on the ground and use that front foot as like a kickstand to court, to create torque in his upper body, I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. The crow hop. When as soon as you saw Favre give that little crow hop, it was like, oh, here comes a missile. <laughs> like, And all, all that stuff is amazing. And I think Mahomes, yeah. the creativity and the stuff that he can do, in terms of just like that guy is not from this planet arm wise, Herbert's going to he's in the conversation. Yeah. I mean, just the pure explosiveness, like the way the ball jumps out of Herbert's hand to me is right there with any of these guys. I mean, I, I think that the explosive nature of the way that he throws the ball is probably more impressive than any of these guys. It's God. He, I know that's why it's so. Because he'll throw 35-yard like dig routes, not 35-yard dig routes, but benders and stuff like that. And that thing doesn't move off the screen. Like, Even that's the Josh like, Palmer touchdown yesterday. It yes. looks so casual. And yes. when you see it, it's just like, all right, like that's not that impressive. But then you think about the mechanics of it. That's a 15-yard deep out to the other side of the field where he's throwing it from the, the hash to the pylon. And it's a laser beam. The RPO last week. The against the Bengals. Yes. Remember, he he's throwing a, a glance RPO, and actually it was a post RPO. It glances, yeah. It was four step, fourth outside step by the receiver, and he threw it like a slant. And that that is exact. Yeah, you're exactly right. That it's. So I think he's fourth then for me because then it'll be because I would say I would have Rogers just a hair above him then, but Herbert, but he's in that category. He's in that tier one category. You know, the other one that I I I started thinking about more is Vic. Oh Vic yeah, had Vic. I think you know what's funny. I in a way, Vic and and Herbert are kind of similar to me. 
Because it's the, the way the ball explodes out of their hand. That yeah. to me, the giddy up that the ball has coming out of their hands. It looks it like shoots. you know when you really, when you really, really hit a drive on the screws, and it has that like second hop after you hit it. That's mm-hmm. what it looks like when Michael Vick and Justin Herbert throw a football, where it looks like it's rising, even though yep. they threw it sixty yards. And yep. to me, the the strength that Rodgers has, and you and I have talked about this. Jordy Nelson told me this once. And it makes total sense. I was th- talking about just the partnership they had. And Jordy was telling me that Rodgers' throws weren't hard to catch because as the ball's coming at you, it doesn't dip. The nose Correct. of the ball never changes planes. So you just put your hands straight up and the trajectory of the ball is coming at you on a straight line. That's arm strength where you can throw a ball through a wall. And that's mm-hmm. what Aaron Rodgers can do. But with Herbert, it's just this kind of spectacular explosion that the ball has. So there are different types of arm strength. But in terms of like just it being a visual spectacle, I think that Herbert is in this conversation with anybody. I agree. I agree. But no, I mean, oh, God, it's just so much. I love talking about this stuff because that was – we've talked about them before. Yeah, the exact conversation we've had – was I remember reading a baseball article where they're talking about do fastballs rise? And they said, yes. no, they don't. They don't, but it's just an optical illusion on your eye that, no, it's actually dipping, but it dips less than your eye thinks that it does. Yes. And same thing with these guys. They throw through it. They throw that ball, like you're just saying, it just never dips. So that that's why it's so easy to catch. Jimmy Hay, the equipment assistant equipment guy with the Falcons, that's what he say. He said Vic was the easiest guy to catch. He said it was easier to Matt Ryan sometimes, even though he was rocketing it. We've seen, remember the old commercials when guys are getting blown back and the, you know, the joke commercials with Vic's arm, but it was like, that's what he's, he goes, it was like a pillow when you caught it because it was just, he threw through you and Herbert has the same thing. When you see him rocket a digger out, rocket a slant in there and those guys are catching it. It just sticks to those hands. Like Aaron Rodgers, they, the drops were always low with him, even though he plays in green Bay <laughs> in the freezing cold. Like it was like a different receivers didn't matter. It's cause yeah, there's, there's something to that throwing through a guy and Favre was the arm strength where it was just like he stuck it on you. You had to catch it. <laughs> it was like it, he like ingrained you in, into the into the pads. This is one of my favorite things. But this is also the thing too is Col- I'm glad he brought up Culpepper. That's the difference between arm strength throwing through a wall because Dante I would say was good in that way, but Dante threw the beautiful deep ball. So it's the two different types of arm strengths, and that's what Dante was different with. I wouldn't say he had the he wasn't real creative with the stuff. He could throw on the move really well, but he was just a beautiful, beautiful deep thrower. One of the best ever, really. I think I think I tweeted it out. I'm gonna, and that's exactly right. His, his deep ball is absolutely beautiful, but that's a different yeah. sort of arm strength. Correct. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find it. I think it's on my Twitter. It, that was, I asked Rogers once what I thought was what he thought was the hardest yeah. he ever threw a football, and it was against the Falcons yep. in the playoffs in 2000. Or, not maybe not the playoffs. It was against the Falcons in 2010, and. He told me about it, and Jordy Nelson zone, right? always mentioned it. It was in the back of the end zone, and it's that thing where he gets like a running start, and then he uses Flips. one foot as a kickstand. And so he he does this incredible thing where he stops all of his momentum and is able to kind of create torque in his upper body so the mechanics look right. But it's just – think about it. Think about when you're in a car crash, right? Yeah. You, and when things stop, you create this forward momentum with yourself, and that's exactly what it was. It's inertia that he had, and it was incredible to watch. I mean the ball is traveling like 80 miles an hour. It's absolutely yeah. insane. So there are just throws like that where it's like, oh, God, these guys are just doing a different thing than everybody else is. Exactly. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's get to our next voicemail. Yes. My name is uh, Derek. I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Big fan of the show. Big fan of yours, Robert. 
I wanted to call this question. I was waiting for Nate to come in because, like Nate, I'm a huge old-school wrestling fan, and I know Nate's a big fan of OSW Review. So Nate will get this question. So who would be, if you could pick players, who would be in your boys' stable for NFL players if you pick four or five? Now, basically, a guy that you like that necessarily wasn't the best. Nate could probably explain it better. But maybe, Robert, uh, someone like uh, Charlie Whitehurst, when you and Barnwell pretty much kind of had like a love affair with him back in the Grantland days. Uh, hopefully the question gets on, and keep up the great work, guys. All right, you're going to have to explain this to me. Okay, so yeah, OSW Review is an awesome YouTube like podcast, and they just review old wrestling pay-per-views, and it's it's amazing because they just – it's actually one of the reasons I got back into wrestling is I started watching those uh, so videos, but they have a boys' table where it's – it's basically your favorite wrestler that wasn't like a world champ. Like, who's your boy? Kind of like a schlocky pick, you know, like, so like for me in wrestling, it would be like Goldust, like Billy Kidman. Oh, Goldust. Sat- yeah. Yeah. Saturn, you know, guys that weren't, it was, it's not the, you know, the rocks or stone cold Steve Austin's it's the middle Scott Hall, like those guys like that, those kind of mid tier, upper mid tier guys. And it's always like, and so OSW review, this is how popular it is, is that some of their fans have gotten tattoos with the show and we, I'm not asking anyone to get that with the other show, but <laughs> is that, and then they get to pick their boys table and they do it on one of the shows. So, so like, so like for, I think for football wise, it'd be like your favorite non pro bowl players. I think that'd be a good way to like, that's wow, like a that's good record. Non pro bowl players is tough. I know. That's why the boys table's fun. Like, so for like currently Naheem Hines like that. Oh yeah. That's a really good one. That's, that's a really good that's one. That's a lot. Kendrick Bourne. Like, uh, like for all, all time, I have a whole bunch of Vikings. Like I have Nate Burleson, Moelle de Moore, uh, Jermaine Wiggins. Like those are boys, you know, <laughs> it's like only like a specific fan base, like remembers those guys. So you probably have some bears up there. Maybe some. Oh bucks. yeah. Oh yeah. I definitely do. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think of like the guys that are of my, since I started watching football that are like some of my favorites. Like Michael Bennett is probably too good, but like I loved Michael Bennett. Like when he was on the Bucks, I loved Michael one. Bennett. Like before he even signed with the Seahawks, he yeah. was one of my guys. Remember Chris Myers, the center for yep. the Texans? I always loved Chris Perfect Myers. Example. Like I, yes. I just thought that, and when you saw Chris Myers, he was like a 280 pound dude who played center in the NFL in this hyper specific way, and I always really liked him. For that yeah. exact reason, it's just like man, that's, that what a strange guy. To, that's exactly to build it. It's kind of like the guy, the, the guys you like that aren't like the prototypical guys. It's like no, that's that's my guy. Like like Zach Pascal. Like that's another one. Like you know, like just the Colts have a lot of them, but the Colts really just, do have a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, but it's Alec Ingold. You know, like you know, I, I, yeah, I was going to say CJ Ham. Like CJ Ham is one of those CJ guys Hamm. for me. Yes, great example. CJ Ham's another one. Yeah, but like those those types, and uh, yeah, but that's I when I saw that this question was gonna be on there, I lost my mind. I like even told my wife, I was like, my worlds are colliding right now. Like <laughs> that someone's referring to that I, three Irish guys that review old wrestling pay per views on on the on my uh, the podcast I'm on every week. I was I feel like mine are gonna be too good. Like guys, Kenny Moore would be one of mine. Like okay. I, he might be too good though. Like that's the problem. That's a really tough needle to thread. Like yeah. I just feel like I'd have to really, really think about this, it for guys that are like one step down from that range. It's it's hilarious too on the show because they always argue whether that guy's too good. Like one of them was like Christian, you know, like Christian and uh, Edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, and they're like, no, no, he's too good to be in your. And he's like, no, I made up the rules for it. Like I, he's and so that's always like the discussion. Like a guy that's too good to be on there. But one yeah, of my guys uh, this year is definitely Jalen Thompson. 
Jalen Thompson is definitely on my list this year. Like I feel like he is kind of the epitome of that for for this particular season. But I'd have to really go back and think about it overall. I know. I know, but it's great to think about. And I I think that's the football equivalent is non-Pro Bowl players. So you're all like all the super role players that we all love that we love to love to give shouts. I was trying to think of some linemen. And it was kind of I was kind of disappointed in myself. I didn't come up with any linemen that because maybe I focus too much on the bad ones now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm gonna I'll do some more thinking about it. I'll do some more thinking about it and we'll see. Great question. See what we get. All right. Yeah. I really like this one. Daniel Frazier asks, how differently would you feel about the Bucks and Pats if we swapped Mac Jones and Tom Brady on either team? Would this be the best Pats team besides the 07 team? Would the Bucks make the playoffs? I, I love this. I thought this yeah. was a fascinating exercise. It's a very different offense in Tampa because Mac Jones and Tom Brady, even 44-year-old Tom Brady, has very different physical abilities, yes. right? So the vertical aspect of what the Bucks are on offense, I think, would be harder to pull off with Mac Jones. I agree. It, it definitely would not be the best Pats offense since 07. The 2011 Just Patriots 11. offense is <laughs> one of the best offenses of all time. I mean, yes. that, that 2011 team gets lost because it didn't win the Super Bowl. And Correct. two, because the 2011 season is one of the most statistically productive seasons we've ever seen in NFL history. I mean, yep. Drew Brees threw for 5,000 yards and didn't win the MVP that year for a playoff team because of how good Aaron Rodgers was. Like That yep. season is absolutely insane. But if you look at the stats offensively for that 2011 Patriots team, it's wild. So, yes. I mean, this Pats team, I think, would still be very, very good on offense. But I still think that their overall ceiling is limited just because of the explosiveness that they lack, right? Yes. So they'd be efficient. They'd be better with Tom Brady, but I don't know how much better they would be in terms of their overall ceiling. Because again, I just think you lack that vertical aspect of the offense. And the Bucks be- would just look so much different. They would look so much different with Max Jones because the, the offense just has to change. Yeah. I mean, Ar- and Arians wouldn't play a rookie. Uh, but it, it's <laughs> like, but I know this is a great question. It was. I, I had to think about it for a little bit. But yeah, I, God, I, I hate to sound like a broken record. Yeah, I completely agree with you because that's the same, <laughs> same points that I put up there. I said the 2011 Patriots team was sick. Gronk, Wes Welker. I mean, God, it was such a cool team. Danny Woodhead was on there like when he was still like, you know, he was kicking around then. But it was. I think this Patriots team is it'd be more like with Brady would be like more of those two thousand mid two thousand ten Patriots teams with you know like a good good defense and an offense like you said it's efficient more than explosive um, you know having Gronk also helps too in those mid two thousand ten teams but yeah I, I really have nothing more to add on I, I think this uh, I think that's exactly how I look at it as too it's just Brady's arm strength is what makes the whole Bucks thing work. Uh, you need you need to push the ball on that because they ask you out of it. You only can you know throw it underneath. Mac Jones is super accurate and would know where to go with the ball, but he would have some limitations on what is asked in the Arians' offense. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I mean, I, f- I feel like they would all they they'd both be still be really good. I think that obviously the Patriots' yeah. offense would be a little bit better. I still think the Bucks' offense would be above average, like significantly above average with yes. Mac Jones. But yes. they, they would just have be, they would have to do different things. All right, let's get to our last voicemail here. Hey, Robert. Hey, Nate. Love the show. Uh, one of my favorite things that you guys do is talk about Hall of Very Good, Hall of Fame. Last mailbag with uh, Mitch, you guys talked about Whitworth and Peters and touched on a little bit on Cam Hayward as far as, like, is he a Hall of Fame player or the Hall of Very Good? And this last week, Whitworth started left tackle at 40 years old. But another major player that was in the news 
was Cam Jordan and missing his first game in his entire career. And it made me think, you know, is Cam Jordan a Hall of Famer? And I'd really be interested to hear you guys' thoughts on, like, is Cam Jordan a Hall of Famer? Another couple ones that came to mind, if you want to hit on, is A.J. Green a Hall of Famer? And then one I constantly ask people all the time because I'm not sure is the Legion of Boom. Everyone says Richard Sermon, Hall of Famer, Bobby Wagner, Hall of Famer, Earl Thomas, Hall of Famer. But then I think about, is Cam Chancellor a Hall of Famer? Anyways, love the show, guys. Hope to hear from you. Bye. All right. Let's start with Cam Jordan. Where where are you at with Cam Jordan? A lock. <laughs> you think he's a lock for the Hall of Fame? He's on the All Decade team. We're good. He's he's a lock. Lock. He's gonna have a hundred sacks. He has, he missed the first game of his entire career. I think he's a lock. It might take a couple of years, but he's a lock. He's on the All Decade team. That's 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 easy for me. Maybe I'm just a a biased Cam Jordan fan. Apparently. <laughs> All right, so here here's my stance about the All Decade team. Okay, I if the way the All Decade team is comprised, I think that Cam Jordan deserves to be on it. Okay, because yeah. the way they do this is, is nonsense. <laughs> there are six just... linebackers on the All Decade team, and half of them are edge rushers. So the That's defensive true. ends on the All Decade team are Calais Campbell, Cam Jordan, Julius Peppers, and JJ Watt. The fact that Julius Peppers is on it for the 2010s is insane, yeah. by the way. And Julius Peppers is ridiculous. So, yeah. So that means that Cam Jordan is on there, but all of the edge rushers that would be ahead of him in the edge rushing conversation are listed at linebackers. Is Cam Jordan one of the five best edge rushers of the last decade since he entered the NFL? No. But <laughs> it's but that's the thing. He's he's gonna end up with a hundred sacks and he has the accolades. And and he's been on. He's only Bowl. been all he's pro been... one time. I know. How many Pro Bowls did he have? What, six. What six, right? Okay. I think Cam Jordan is an awesome player. I think just penciling him in may be a little bit, a little bit fast. He, I think he ends up getting in. I, I really do. I, it's not going to be first ballot, no brainer. You know, like JJ will end up or something like that. But it's just going to be. I, I I just think it's just that it's going to be one of those great consistent careers that gets rewarded and he just has enough accolades where it's like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. But it might be like year five that he finally gets, you know, gets enough votes, but I think it's, he gets in. I, I think I, maybe I'm just biased to Cam Jordan. Cause I just love him as a dude too. Like just, like he's, he's awesome. A, I, and I would awesome. love if Cam Jordan got into the hall of fame, but if you look at it from 2011, when he got drafted to 2021, okay. I think that you could make an argument. Von Miller is definitely better at that position, right? Yes. Is has Chandler Jones had a better career than Cam Jordan. Chandler Jones had a better peak or has had better seasons, but not a better career, if that makes sense. I think that's a conversation. Chandler Jones has 105 sacks. He came into the league one year after Cam Jordan did. It is so hard in in the year of our Lord 2021 to be underrated. Chandler Jones has managed it. He has somehow managed in the internet era to be underrated, which is almost impossible to do, but he still manages to do it. JJ yeah. Watt, absolutely. Right. Lock, right. Like, yeah. I mean, it's JJ Watt is an all timer. Justin yeah. Houston. So that's where we get that's that's the realm that we're getting in. Oh man. That to me is the cut. And then I think Khalil Mack, since he came into the league, is He's has been a more dominant player than Cam Jordan. And Khalil, Khalil Mack's got two defensive player of the years. Maybe, yeah, maybe three now. Khalil yeah, Mack had 70, 76 and a half sacks, but he came into the league three years after Cam Jordan came into the league. Yeah. 
And right. Khalil, but Khalil got the accolades, and yeah, and he's Khalil Mack. You know, he's on that name basis. But I just, th- I think, I think it's just one of those where Cam gets in just because of like the longevity kind of thing. I mean, and also just like he's been very good for very long. That, and I think that does end up being rewarded. But like the Justin Houston's of the world, that's that's a fun one too. Man, I'm like now I'm like thinking <laughs> if you could have if you could have nine years or eight years, they're eight year peaks. Of Cam Jordan or Cam Wake, who would you pick? Cam Jordan. Interesting. Mm-hmm. He's I a badass Cam, I pick Cam, I pick Cam Wake just because I love Cam Wake. I just I Cam Wake came into the league at twenty seven. Like that's also just such a weird part of he had it. The weirdest career ever. I, I guess eight years. Well, I, I would say eight years, maybe too much. Cam Cam Wake had ten and a half sacks at thirty five years old. Yeah. So Cam Wake's like the Edgar Martinez of football. Like just didn't have his breakout year until or entered the league until 27 and just was like playing up until like he was mid late thirties and producing. Cam Jordan is an, is a fantastic player. I, I think he probably will end up getting in because he'll get a hundred sacks and the all decade team thing does help, but mm-hmm. I, I'm not as quick to say it's a lock as you are. Let's get to a couple of the other guys on here. Like Do you this. think AJ green is a hall of famer? This one was tough. I, I think he same. I think he's the same category as Cam Jordan where it's like, he ends up a Hall of Famer, but it's going to take forever to happen. I mean, he has seven Pro Bowls. He has a couple of second-team All-Pros. He has a great peak. You know, he had a three, four-ish year period where he's, you know, top three receiver in the league. And then he's going to probably end up with 10,000 yards, which also is just, you know, voters love those little parameters that they hit. So I think he ends up. But, man, that one's tough. A.J. Green was really tough for me to decide on. I say he ends up that, but whew, there's going to be a lot of receivers soon that's like, i uh, think that's part of the problem is that the yeah. glut of receivers may hate it may hurt aj green yeah also he's overshadowed in his own draft class like I the fact you. that and obviously honestly cam jordan has the same issue right i mean von miller jj watt all came in yep. the same year came into the league the same year that cam jordan did julio jones is walks into the hall of fame and yep. aj green's in the same class as julio jones so I think that's a little bit of a complicating factor there. And then we're in an era where so many guys are going to have 10,000 yards, right? Yeah. I mean, Larry, Larry Fitzgerald had 9,200 yards in the 10 years since A.J. Green came into the league. So, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald is going to be in that conversation. I mean, there's a really good chance that Devontae Adams gets there by the time that A.J. Green would be eligible for the Hall of Fame. Devontae is at 7,700 yards, 7,800 yards right now. I mean, there are a lot of guys I think they're going to be right there that are going to kind of muddy that picture for A.J. Green. Green needs more, like three more years, and that's hard, of like the year he's having right now, where he's just like a, a nice, tangible player for somebody, like a winning team, like because he just needs his second second act of his career. Like it was like he had a great first act, and then it was just like, okay, he got banged up, and then you kind of, you know, the Bengals kind of were the Bengals <laughs> for a few years. So it's like he needs his second act, but that's, He's going to be the cutoff, man. Like, that's like, he's going to be the parameter for like, is he better in AJ Green or is he worse than AJ Green for everybody that comes after? I think it feels like DeAndre Hopkins is going to get in when it's all said and done. Yeah. He's got 10,000 yards already. He came into the league yeah. two years after these guys did. Uh, Mike Evans is going to walk into the Hall of Fame. Mike Evans has in, in only eight years, Mike, Mike Evans has 9,151 yards and 72 touchdowns. Since 2011, Mike Evans is third among all players in touchdown catches behind Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski, even though he came into the league three years after some of these guys did. Wow. That's going to be, that's going to be a lot easier than it might even seem on oh, the yeah. surface for Mike Evans. Again, he's going to be like a no doubt about it. Hall of Famer. Oh yeah. 
And how is how old is he right now? Is he thirty? How old, Mike Evans isn't that old either. Like twenty nine. He's like, twenty eight. Uh, he's twenty eight. He's twenty. Oh my god. He's gonna like. Oh my god. His, Jesus. He's gonna like. He's gonna be up there. Like, and that's that's we talk about underrated in a little in a way. It's not that we underrate Mike Evans. We know he's a star, but it's like, man, that's a that's a hell of a career on teams that weren't really doing much else for a few years. Mike Evans's least productive season in the NFL was in 2017 okay. when he played 15 games. He had a thousand yards and five touchdowns. That's his least productive NFL season. Pretty good. Pretty he good. had a thousand yards last year. That's a target number situation, right? And mm-hmm. the Bucks team, he averaged 9.2 yards per target last season with the Bucks, even though he only had 1,000 yards. If you look at it, here are the, here are, this is the number of guys who averaged more than 9.2 yards per target since 2011. Tyreek Hill, Jordy Nelson, Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, Tyler Lockett, Gronk, George Kittle, Julio Jones, Malcolm Floyd, which is amazing, Deshaun Jackson, Debo, A.J. Brown, Johnny Knox, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, those guys are kind of fake because they, they don't have that many targets, yeah. and neither does Johnny Knox. But that's how productive Mike Evans was last year, and it was one of the least voluminous er- years of his entire career. Mike Evans God. is having like a quietly insane football career. God, even that, when you I account know. for era, what Mike Evans is doing is absolutely wild. And some of the teams he's had to play on and like the it's just like he is scheme proof as they get like it's just like everybody loves that big ass x receiver they can just toss the ball up at any time <laughs> that i love the chemistry he has with brady it's just oh, like it's one awesome. of the most fun it's things. so it's cool of- to watch also speaking of good dudes i there i have heard very few people talk about an nfl player the way that other people talk about mike evans like it, it is people revere mike evans my my only interaction with him was at the combine uh, in the train station where they're doing interviews with the assistant coaches and this one assistant coach like like took Mike Evans and went to like the little stairwell thing like that sounds really weird but he was just taking him to like private after like his interview with him and it's supposed to be on a horn that no one else listens to uh, scouts and coaches are gonna know anyone that listens to this it's just hilarious but it, it's it's supposed to be 15 minutes and this coach had him for like an hour and he looked at me and this is when he still had braces. And I remember he looked at me because I'm sitting there waiting to grab him. And he just goes, save me. And he's just like, that's all he said. Like, you know, I was just like, hey, okay, time off. And I came in. He's, and he's like, thank you so much. Like, because the coach was just talking his ear off, like just talking and talking and talking. I could tell him, he's like, are you going to ask me a question? Or are you going to talk about like your life? Like, but he was just like so funny and like, so just like normal. Like, you know, and some of these players aren't like that. So it's, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Mike Evans. All right. Very quickly, the Legion of Boom guys. Bobby Wagner zero doubt <laughs> yeah, like, zero doubt yeah richard sherman player. to me is a hall of famer i, yep, I think that richard sherman is definitely going to get in the earl thomas thing that's going to be a complicated conversation i feel like yeah and that's that's something else <laughs> yes so i don't we don't have to talk about that i think cam chancellor is firmly a hall of very good player yes yes and he's gonna have against him kind of like those early 2000 bucks players kind of had where it's like well how many of these guys can we vote in yep. like you know so that's what I, I i completely agree that's exactly how i've written is that he's a hall of very good and a damn good one at that oh he's one of my favorite hall of very good players he, yeah. he is one of the reasons the hall of very good exists is that's, because of guys like cam chancellor the cam chancellor wink <laughs> all right last one here from devin harvey 
He said, I remember Nate comparing playing quarterback as a rookie in the NBA, where being even a somewhat positive contributor is impressive. I've also heard the cornerback is a very hard position for rookies to be positive contributors. What would you both say are the hardest positions for rookies to be positive impact players, and which positions are the easiest? He's maintains that no position is easy <laughs> he understands yes. that but i think it's a good way to frame the question yep what do you think about this hardest yeah quarterback obviously but then after that corner yes i would say is number two and then tackle um offensive really really it's what it is is close your eyes and think of what the premium positions are is that that's kind of what it's going to get into what the hardest is i actually think tight end is it's so hard to be a tangible tight end as a rookie. It really is like to be like a starter and playing like all every snap or a lot of snaps. That's really hard. Center. I think is really hard. Like if you're going to be a starting center day one, um, that's usually a huge transition. And maybe that's just my, you know, just being around it, but it's, that's what I have. Did you, you don't think tackle? I think a lot of guys have succeeded at tackle pretty early. A lot of guys have come in and played the position. Well, and I think that mm-hmm. there are some cases where we've seen guys take jumps, but you know, like Tristan Wirfs came in last year and was an all pro player right away. And yeah. I think there are some positions where that's really hard to do. Quarterback obviously being number one. The one that to me, running back is the easiest. Easiest. Right? Yeah. I mean, running back, we see Great. rookies all the time can just explode onto the scene. I think that's the easiest. I think guard is also one where if you have the goods, you can be an all-pro player right away. Think about that's what, what Zach Martin is. was. Think about what Clinton Nelson was. That's one where, and I think that's why guard and tackle to me, tackle is obviously harder, but I feel like what it takes to be a good offensive lineman, it's such a learned position. And if you know how to play it and you understand, like, I understand body control and I understand angles and I understand how to take this stuff away. If that's stuff that you just innately understand when you're a prospect, I think you can succeed right away in the NFL. If you're a toolsy prospect who needs to learn, I think it's different. To me, it depends on what type of player you were coming out, I guess yeah. is how I would frame it. But I think that's in some positions, it, yeah. it doesn't even it doesn't matter how well you know it. To me, the most underrated one that is kind of counterintuitive, you wouldn't think that it's hard to play right away, off-ball linebacker. You very, yes. very rarely see off-ball linebackers come into the NFL and play well right away because it's just too many moving parts. Yes. The, the the eye discipline that you need and the way the, the game moves, especially now, if you look at the way the college game is, like over the last five years or so, I guess it's kind of shifting now, but let's say the college game five, ten years ago where it's so spread out. Yeah. And you're playing off the ball, and there isn't a lot of traffic. And now you're coming into this NFL game, even in an 11 personnel world, where you have all of these shifts, all of these motions, all of these yes. pulling guards, the things that you have to pay attention to. Guys yeah. swim. Even players drafted really high. Devin White, Devin yes. Bush. Guys that we've seen drafted in the top 10. Roquan Smith early in his career. Guys that we've seen turn into stars. It takes time. For them yeah. to get there. Isaiah Simmons is another really good example. Yes. Zayvon Collins can't even get on the field right now for the Cardinals because of all of these considerations. So I think that one is one that people just don't think enough about when you feel like the learning curve is steep. It's uh, I. It's hilarious you said that because at first I like put that as my last easiest and I changed it to one of the, like the last ones. I go, it's hilarious you said this because I go, I want to talk about this. I have a dash. Talk about this because we for late, I would say, you know, 07 to 02 you know, 2012 ish, 
a whole bunch of linebackers running rookie of the year because back then you could just plug. You could just go, all right, I'm going to I'm going to be a rundown linebacker, you know, and just you don't have to worry about like you just say all the coverage stuff. Now, you enter the NFL, they have to worry about personnel. They have to worry about down and distance, communicating that stuff, blitz looks. Hey, who's 3, who's 2, who's 1, who's this, who whatever communicating with this, starting up mugged up on the ball and then having to work backwards. I mean, look as as great as like Micah Parsons is playing, you know, uh, as that. Look at him in the first couple of weeks in coverage when yeah. he's just like, ah, like just. I mean, he's he's a great athlete, so he can recover. But I mean, his head's spinning on stuff. I mean, uh, people were trying to make fun of it early in the year, but it's like that. It's hard. It really is hard. More more is being asked of every position now. It is so mentally taxing on every single position that. Yes, you want to have the athleticism to overcome that. But yeah, that's obviously running back is the easiest one and guard. Yep, I had that. And I said maybe D tackle, like maybe a nose tackle. Like that would be another one where it's just nose like, tackle hey, yeah, is one where you can get plugged right away. Because you don't have you, to worry about anything. I think <laughs> this is interesting. If you look at the list of d- defensive rookie of the year winners, okay? Yeah. From 2006 to th- through 2009, it was all linebackers. And then even before that, Jonathan. So from 2004 to 2009, it was every year but one was an off-ball linebacker. Jonathan Vilma, D'Amico Ryans, Patrick Willis, Gerard Mayo, yep. Brian Cushing. What did we just say about 2011? That's when the passing boom happens. Yep. So as the game spreads out to a shotgun 11 personnel world, you saw fewer linebackers having that sort of impact immediately. The only one was Keekly, and Keekly was Whoa. just a savant. I mean, he was just <laughs> yeah, a... It's Keekly. <laughs> He was a virtuoso. I mean, he was just yeah. a phenom. So, and even he'll tell you, I think, that what he understood about the game as a rookie compared to year two was completely different. The only other linebacker since Luke Keekley, off ball linebacker, to win defensive rookie of the year was Darius Leonard. I mean, for the most part, that's not happening. And you look at edge guys like Nick Bosa, it's hard to have the impact that a Nick Bosa had as a rookie or even his brother as an off-ball linebacker in today's NFL. I think it's just more difficult. That's why it when is. you see Micah Parsons and what, why he's going to win it, it's not because of what he does as an off-ball linebacker. It's because of what he does as a pass rusher. Exactly. And it's just that's a way tangible because he's going forward. Now you have to go backwards a whole lot of times. And as we know in pass protection, it's very hard to go backwards. And so now defenders are worrying more and more about that. That's why corner is hard. That's why coverage for linebackers is hard. It's, it's just where the game is right now. And it's like that is a great way to actually see the transition of the game. Just looking at defensive rookies of the year. It's just like, oh, there's the change. Of the change in the NFL was right then and there. I very rarely do this. I, I, someone should go back and listen to our, our draft podcast when we were talking about Micah Parsons. I can't remember what show it was on. It might have even been with you. We we're talking about Micah Parsons, and I think I uttered the words, I would never have him, never have him moving backwards on passing yep. guns. I you I just watched him play in college. I was like that guy's just moving forward on every single passing down, and he's done pretty good at it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it, been it, a smart it, way to deploy him in the NFL it, as a rookie. We were talking about okay, oh God, what, I wonder. I don't know what the discussion was because I brought him up, and we were like, oh yeah, well, I was like, oh man, you know, he's he's a freaky dude, and you're like, yeah. As long as he's going forward, <laughs> just like, I think that's I, I swear. So I must have been in June. So I wonder what I wonder what the show was. I don't know. They all blend together now. I, I just I, re- I remember saying that explicitly yep. and then seeing what he's doing right now. I was like, oh, man, I, I even a blind squirrel every once in a while. gets one of these. Right. <laughs> I would say my house sigil is a broken clock. That's what it is. <laughs> All right. That was very fun. Appreciate you doing that, buddy. I always love when you jump on here and do this. We will be back with Mitch later in the year. As always, guys, thank you very, very much for sending these in. 
we have a fun time doing this. I hope that comes yeah. across. We really enjoy it. We really enjoy it because of how thoughtful, how interesting, how just joyful some of these questions are. So thank you very much for sending them in. We'll be back tomorrow with Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner is going to come on. We're going to talk about some quarterback play in the NFL this year. I had some guys that I really wanted to ask him about because I think it's been, it's been kind of a different year for the types of quarterbacks we've seen succeed. And I think a lot of them have been in the same mold as Kurt Warner was. So I wanted to get his input on some of those guys and some of the younger quarterbacks, the style of quarterback that we've seen be successful so far in the NFL. So please come back and check out that on Wednesday. We'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming after that with Lindsay on Thursday, with Nate and Sheila on Friday. In the meantime, please rate and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I would sincerely appreciate that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. We'll be back tomorrow. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.